This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. It's Wednesday. Daphna, how are you? I'm doing good. I mean, this this uh, ROP section has really uh, thrown us through a loop, but we are we are getting through it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in retrospect, I wonder if we could have. I mean, you could have potentially devoted a single week to each one of the daily episodes. We, we seriously, did. yeah. <laughs> but on the other hand. I feel that this is the issue with ROP is that it is so massive that we tend mm-hmm. to just like, like, all right, like ignore oh. it, ignore it because I'm, I'm as a neonatologist, honestly speaking, the amount of time this is going to cost me at the bedside is minimal. And so it's like the opto people are managing all of this and I know to keep the oxygen as low as possible. And so what's the use? Um, <laughs> the, the, uh, the FIO2 as low as possible. Uh, yes, that's what I meant. Sorry. <laughs> well, we'll get into that today, won't we? <laughs> it's not. It doesn't bode well for me presenting the support trial, huh? <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right. Well, I guess on that note, we'll just we'll just get kick it off, and uh, we'll right start with the it. question. So, uh, the question today is uh, from the neonatology review book, Neurology Question Eight: Retinopathy of prematurity is the leading neonatal cause of blindness in the United States. Of the following, the population at greatest risk for the severe ROP consists of infants A, born extremely prematurely, B, requiring prolonged assisted ventilation, C, treated with prolonged period of parental nutrition, D, with a family history of myopia, or is it E, with a history of severe intraventricular hemorrhage? All right. Yeah, that's that's not so far not too bad based on right. what we've done this this week. The answer should be A, right, born extremely prematurely. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think uh, the trick, uh, the the where you're, they're trying to trip us up is potentially some people might have picked requiring prolonged assisted ventilation, since we know that oxygen therapy is associated with retinopathy of prematurity. Um, uh, we know that exposure to high concentration of oxygen for prolonged periods increases the risk of developing ROP in babies. However, um, the presence uh, just of prolonged assisted ventilation, we didn't say how much oxygen, um, the presence of severe intraventricular hemorrhage, the need for uh, neonatal intensive care or prolonged uh, TPN does not impact the risk of ROP. Uh, in addition, a family history of myopia does not alter the risk of developing retinopathy of prematurity. So of the question choices, being born extremely preterm uh, is the greatest risk factor. Okay. So today we are going to talk about some of those oxygen associations uh, based on a, a bunch of trials in the history of neonatology. I think probably the the first trial we should mention um, is the 2000 um, STOP ROP trial or STOP ROP trial. This was supplemental therapeutic oxygen for pre-threshold retinopathy of prematurity. Uh, trial. So they were really trying to see if a baby had pre-threshold retinopathy of prematurity, not not any baby, but a baby who had already met pre-threshold um, 
uh, ROP, if we change their oxygen saturations, could we prevent the progression of ROP? And that trial actually showed um, an increased rate of adverse pulmonary sequela, though not an increased rate of death due to pulmonary causes among babies um, with pre-threshold retinopathy prematurity when a higher oxygen, oxygen saturation range was targeted. And it did not stop ROP. And that takes us to the 2003, uh, the first BOOST trial. BOOST is the Benefits of Oxygen Saturation Targeting Trial. I, I was just going to say, I, I know we spoke about threshold ROP, but did we speak about what pre-threshold ROP was? Maybe I don't not, remember. But I don't... it doesn't matter. I think I just wanted to clarify for the audience that uh, you, you've mentioned that yesterday, right? That threshold ROP is... I think we this, did talk about it. We did talk about it, right? And you said uh, it was a condition with um, 50% risk of retinal mm-hmm, detachment mm-hmm. if left untreated. That's now, right. pre-threshold uh, is defined as any zone one ROP less than threshold, mm-hmm. zone two, stage two with plus disease, zone two, stage three without plus disease, or zone two, stage three with plus disease, but less than five contiguous or less than eight cumulative clock hours of ROP. Leave that to your ophthalmologist. We've done our due diligence. Let's keep moving forward. Yeah, that's right. It's basically uh, ROP, staged ROP, not just immature retina, but staged, you know, ROP less than threshold, basically. So in 2003 was the first boost trials. That is um, benefits of oxygen saturation targeting trial, where infants were randomly assigned to a target oxygen saturation range of either 91 to 94%, which was the standard saturation group, or 95 to 98%, a high saturation group. And they used these cool oximeters, which are basically the basis for all of the trials that follow. Um, So infants were assigned a specific study oximeter, and um, the staff was asked to target the saturation range of 93 to 96% for every infant. But um, the oximeters calculated um, the infant oxygen saturation level in the usual manner. And then depending on which group, um, it was able to adjust to display a value either 2% higher than the actual saturation in infants in the standard group or 2% lower than the actual saturation in infants in the high saturation group so that they could meet their targets as long as the staff and the parents kept them at this middle oxygen range. And this is how they created the blinding um, for this study and again the subsequent studies. The study overall found that no found no evidence that targeting of a functional oxygen oxygen saturation range of 95 to 98% rather than a range of 91 to 94% had a beneficial effect on growth or development um, in preterm infants with a long-term dependence on supplemental oxygen. Also, there were no significant differences between the groups and the rates of ROP of any stage or in the frequency of the need for um, ablative retinal surgery. There was a trend towards higher pulmonary deaths in the high saturation group. Um, Not all deaths, but um, pulmonary-related deaths. Um, However, observational studies that followed the BOOST-1 trial suggested that higher oxygen saturation levels might increase rates of ROP. And so there's like a lot of data from these trials from like all of the different um, 
comorbidities you can imagine. But today we're just going to focus mostly on the findings related to retinopathy of prematurity. Subsequently, um, from 2005 to 2013, the the neonatal oxygenation prospective meta-analysis, or the NEOPROM collaboration, was coordinated in Australia, and it included study groups um, conducting trials in the UK and Australia, which were uh, boost the boost to um, New Zealand, which was boost New Zealand, but um, had a similar protocol to the other boost uh, centers, Canada, the COT trial and the US, the support trial. And these randomized mass trials all had very similar protocols, um, but again, were funded differently and had different kind of oversight committees, um, similar protocols involving infants born before 28 weeks gestation, and they were evaluating the effects of targeting a range of oxygen saturation of 85 to 89% as compared with a range of 91 to 95% on survival and neurodevelopmental outcomes at 18 months to two years after the expected delivery date. And you're going to talk to us specifically about the support trial that was done here in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, but in all five trials, um, they used this um, Massimo radical pulse oximeter um, to measure oxygen saturation. And the interesting thing about this set of trials is they all begun unrolling at different times. And um, the Boost 2 in the UK was actually the last to begin enrollment in 2007. Well, during the study period in the UK, they noted a problem with the saturation probes. Um, and in 2008 and 2009, um, Babies who were enrolled after that time were switched to a new set of probes that had a different algorithm um, than babies in the first half of the trial. Um, So the studies continued, but like I said, all subsequent babies enrolled using the new probes. So I think that kind of sets the stage. And I guess you'll talk to us specifically about the support trial. Right. So, so the support trial is very famous. We spoke mm-hmm. actually about the support trial with Wally Carlo on our interview with him on the Incubator podcast. Um, and that trial was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in May 2010. So the question they're asking, right, they're asking, would a lower target oxygen saturation range of 85 to 89% reduce the rates of severe ROP or death compared to higher saturation range in infants born 24 to 7 to 27 weeks. And obviously, this is very much a question that needed to be answered. There was a lot of debate around oxygen toxicity. Uh, understanding target O2SAT was a very logical question. And they, at the time, there really was um, no real data available before the early 2000s. I think the thing that will get people tripped up the most with the support trial is something that Wally Carlos spoke to us about, which is that two by two factorial design, right? Mm. Which is where they actually randomize the babies to the different O2SAT targets, but they also randomize the babies to CPAP versus like surfactant mm-hmm. and intubation. Now, the reason you need not worry about that is because the idea with the support cohort was that they wanted to study two things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they wanted to study both the target saturation and whether CPAP was a, was, a, was a reasonable alternative to early administration of surfactant. So technically, you could actually find in the New England Journal of Medicine an, another paper published by um, the support uh, study group called Early CPAP versus Surfactant in Extremely mm-hmm. Preterm Infants, in which 
the primary outcome is definitely, I mean, ROP is being looked at, obviously, but it's not, mm-hmm. it's not, uh, it's not the primary outcome. So I think that could get confusing because it's like, if you're testing two things, why am I seeing results for only one of them? Well, mm-hmm. that's because there's another paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and that paper was published in 2010 as well. And I think it was published on, if I'm not mistaken, I think on the same day, mm. <laughs> um, which is one of these peculiar things. I kind of like these peculiar stories of, of uh, mm-hmm. research and, and <laughs> medical literature. But um, uh, yeah, you can imagine that day that, that that was a big deal. And Wally Carlos spoke to us about that, like mm-hmm. how big of an impact anyway. So which babies did they include? Babies born between 24 weeks and 27 and 6, uh, for whom a decision had been made, obviously, to provide full resuscitation, um, so those were enrolled at birth. Infants born in other hospital uh, or those to, who had major congenital anomalies were excluded. So the intervention is that they randomly assign infants before birth a target range of oxygen saturation of 85 to 89, that was the lower oxygen saturation group, or 91 to 95, that was the higher oxygen saturation group. All surviving infants were followed by ophthalmologists uh, trained in the diagnosis of ROP. The examinations began at about 33 weeks post-menstrual age and continued until the study outcome was reached or the resolution of the pathology occurred. Resolution was defined as a fully vascularized uh, retina or if there was immature vessels in zone three for two consecutive examinations of each eye. The primary outcome was death before discharge or severe retinopathy of prematurity as defined by threshold retinopathy, ophthalmic, ophthalmologic, ophthalmologic surgery, or the use of Avastin for ROP. The secondary outcomes um, were pre-specified. There was a lot of them, and it included the assessment of the need for oxygen at 36 weeks postmenstrual age and some safety outcomes. So the baseline characteristics for these patients, they, in, they enrolled um, about 1,300 infants in the study. The rate of the composite primary outcome, severe retinopathy or death before discharge, did not differ significantly between the lower oxygen saturation group and the higher oxygen mm-hmm. saturation group. That was 28.3% versus 32.1%. Um, the confidence interval was 0.76 to 1.06. P-value was 0.21. The rate of severe retinopathy of prematurity among survivors who were discharged or transferred to another facility or who reached the age of one year was lower in the lower oxygen saturation group, 8.6% versus Mm 17.9%. So much more ROP in the higher saturation group. But as you've probably heard from uh, the the fame of of the support trial is that death before discharge occur in 130 infants out of 654 in the lower oxygen saturation group, that was about 20%, compared to 16% in the higher oxygen uh, group. And that was um, very significant. The p-value was 0.04. Number needed to harm was 27. Mm-hmm. Some of the secondary outcomes, the rate of oxygen use at 36 weeks was reduced in the lower oxygen saturation group as compared with the higher oxygen saturation group. Um, but the rates of uh, bronchopulmonary dysplasia among survivors, as determined by a physiologic assessment of oxygen saturation at 36 weeks and um, the composite outcome of BPD or death uh, by 36 weeks, did not differ between the two treatment groups. Um, other specified major outcomes also did not differ between the two groups. Um the study takeaways were that a lower target 
range of oxygenation, 85 to 89, as compared with a higher one, did not significantly decrease the composite outcome of severe ROP or death, but it did result in an increase in mortality and a substantial decrease in severe ROP among survivors. And that's something that we've talked about in the Mm -hmm. history of ROP that people started noticing is that, yes, oxygen may be uh, nauseous to these babies, but on the other hand, without that oxygen, they may not even survive. So, you know, it's a it's a, between a rock and being between a rock and a mm-hmm. hard place. The increase in mortality is a major concern, since a lower target range of oxygen saturation is increasingly being advocated to prevent retinopathy of prematurity. Uh, that was part of their conclusion as well. There was, if you guys are interested in the history of our field, there's a famous, famous follow-up to the support trial where some of the parents involved in the trial actually filed a lawsuit against the investigators because of issues, I think, with the consent form. And there's, um, the, 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 I think the lawsuit was either dismissed or they lost in court. Um, but there's a lot of interesting editorial and articles um, in the New England explaining a little bit of what's going on and their answers to some of these concerns. I think one of these editorials is called Supporting the Support Trial or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but I think if you're interested in research and methodology, it's, it's, an, interesting, um, it's an interesting episode to look into it. And, um, and we didn't talk about this with Wally Carlo because I think the lawsuit didn't really have merit, but that's something that did stir a little bit of controversy at the time around in our field. And um, if you're not familiar with that story, just look it up. It's pretty well documented. Um, I think that's that's it for the for the for the support trial. Support right? trial, yeah. And so when the support trial um, found that difference in um, mortality, the rest of the neo um, the neoprom uh, group looked at their pooled data. And that's really what came of the Boost 2 trial, which was published in 2013. Um, and it included, again, the pooled data from the trial teams in the United Kingdom, um, Australia, and New Zealand. So I won't, uh, the methods are pretty similar. Um, the intervention we've talked about. Um, and uh, again, the reference ranges for saturations, they were using 85 to 89% in the lower target group or 91 to 95% in the higher target group. Can I mention something about the methodology? I think we talked about this off air, mm. but I like the fact how they masked the the nursing staff and the rest of the staff to the intervention mm-hmm. is that by they, they did that by asking the nurses to keep the sats within a certain range and mm-hmm. then changed what the, the staff could see by like three saturation points. So like, yes. so they we talked so, about that on air. We did talk about that on air. I yes. apologize then. <laughs> I, th- I felt because we've had like a discussion off air about trying to understand exactly <laughs> what happened over again. with the pulse oximeter. So I forgot what made it on air and what did not, but I kind of like that. The fact that they, they just tweaked it a little bit. That was, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. As long as the oximeters work, then it's a good, that's, that's it's a good only, study design. <laughs> that's the only so um, for the Boost 2 trial, um, the baseline characteristics, they had a total of uh, 2,448 infants enrolled in the three trials, uh, just over 900 in the, almost 1,000 in the United Kingdom, um, 1,100 in Australia, and 340 in New Zealand. Of these infants, uh, 1,261, about 51.5%, were treated with the uh, original oximeter calibration algorithm and um, 48.5% with the use of the revised algorithm um, after, again, the UK team um, noted that difference. 
And the baseline demographic and clinical characteristics were similar in the two target groups among the three trials and in the two algorithm groups. So I think that's interesting. Um, so really for the primary outcome, among the 1,187 infants for whom the revised oximeter calibration algorithm was used, so the later group, those in the lower target group had a higher rate of death than those in the higher target group before hospital discharge, 23.1% versus 15.9%, a relative risk of 1.45. But interestingly, among the 1,261 infants for whom the original oximeter calibration algorithm was used, there was no significant between group differences in outcomes at hospital discharge. Um, in all the data combined, uh, again, merging the oximeter groups, there was no significant difference in the rate of death in the lower target group as compared with the higher target group. However, infants in the lower target group had a reduced rate of treatment for retinopathy of prematurity. Um, obviously, there's some other outcomes related to some of the other comorbidities, but uh, we're talking about ROP today. So, all of that is to say there have been some subsequent studies, and um, we know that less oxygen is better for retinopathy of prematurity. That's basically the only thing we know for sure, um, and that's why we try to use a moderate saturation versus and, too high or too low. And, and the one thing we could have talked about today, which we decided to leave off, I mean, it's already 20 minutes that we've been talking mm -hmm. about this, is if you wanted to look at these automated FiO2 adjustments mm -hmm. uh, modules that you can put on the vent. So so the logical continuation is, since we, we want to keep the SATs within a certain range that's not too low because then mm -hmm. mortality is higher, um, could the vent just automatically adjust to keep the saturations mm -hmm. within that range? And there's a lot of data out there about these uh, effects on ROP, and it's quite interesting. We don't have that in the U.S. just yet. It's not FDA approved, but it seems like it's a very exciting new technology uh, coming to us very soon. And I, that's it. The time flew by. That's all we have time for today. Um, tomorrow, we'll talk about treatment. That's correct. And um, we were very fortunate that we weren't sure, right? We weren't sure initially whether Friday mm -hmm. will be able to have like, an, like to have an ophthalmologist to discuss some of these things with. But uh, I think this is happening, correct? After we got it done. We got it done. I mean, we have to record. <laughs> it's, it's not yet recorded. We'll get it done. We'll get it done. All right, guys. <laughs> see you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nicupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICUPodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.